Welcome to the Wheatful Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Goff, and I'm so excited you're here. I'm an online product shop owner over at Wheat & Honey Co., a business strategist leading women-owned, profitable, and purposeful businesses, and your host here at the Wheatful Woman Podcast. Join us as we have fun and soulful conversation with a bunch of girlfriends pursuing a life full of intention and purpose. We are here to give you space and tools for your holistic wellness journey and hope you leave each episode feeling a bit more full than when you came. All right, Wheatful Women, let's dive in. Today's episode features Liz Forkin Bohannon, the founder of Seiko Designs. Seiko is an ethical fashion brand that works to educate and empower women. By providing employment and educational opportunities, Seiko enables women to continue their education and become leaders in their country. In four years, Seiko has grown from three women making sandals together under a mango tree to an international fashion brand that provides employment, education opportunities, and entrepreneurial training to over 76 women in East Africa. Using her unlikely story of a journalist gone shoemaker, Liz shares her passion for social enterprise, conscious consumerism, social justice, creative leadership, gender equality, risk-taking, and empowering women. She believes deeply that business is a powerful platform for social change and that girls are our future. Liz's work has landed her on the show Shark Tank, as well as recognition and Bloomberg Business. Ingram's 30 Under 30, and winner of the Bush Institute Global Women's Award, Global Women's Champion Award, and the Spanx Leg Up Award. She now splits her time between Uganda and Portland, Oregon, where she and her husband, Ben, run Seiko Designs. Here's my conversation with Liz. Hey, Liz. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I would love to start by giving our community a little bit of background with Wheatful Woman event this year and our conversations with you and your team. And we had every intention of getting to host Liz, to get to host you at our second annual event in Dallas this year. And we're really excited that with the shift of things, we're able to bring that conversation to life here. And just allow our community to get to know you a little bit more. So before we really dive in to all the things, I'd love to start with personally allowing our community to get to know your home base a little bit. I know just from following you on Instagram, your marriage and your kiddos are the center of everything that you do. And I'd love just to start there about how life has been as a family these last few months twist my arm because I love talking about my amazing family. I have two little boys. They are just turned four and almost two and an amazing husband who also happens to be my company co-founder and my colleague and my co-creator. And so, yes, you are, you are totally right in your assumption that my family is incredibly important to me. And I would say definitely one of my highest priorities. However, I will say that they're definitely not the center of everything and the center of my, my world. And really, that's actually a really intentional decision that my husband and I have made is that our kids are not the center of our universe and they're not the center of their own universe. And we, we both feel really deeply called one, I would say to make our marriage kind of the, the, the main center of our family. And for that to really be the foundation upon which we build our family, as opposed to 
our children. And then even more broadly, kind of outside of the walls of our own home, I, I feel very deeply called, I think specifically as a mother to, to young boys, which I think I would feel the same way di- differently if I had girls to raise. I, I feel really strongly that I want to model to my two boys that I love them so deeply that I am so committed to them, that they are absolutely a priority in my life, but that I'm actually not, that, that motherhood isn't my only identity. In addition to being a mom and a wife, that I am an entrepreneur, I am a community member, I am an author, I am a thinker, I am a dreamer, I am a creator, I am all of these things in that, yeah, I'm just this really complex person and creation and they play such an important part of that, but that actually like my identity and my value, it doesn't resolve, it doesn't revolve around them. And the decisions that we make as a family consider them deeply, but they actually don't always revolve around our kids. And so, yeah, I really hope that my boys grow up feeling incredibly valued and like they were a high priority and so deeply considered, but that they are a, they are a unique and irreplaceable part of this whole of our family, but that they're not like the center of our, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I love that. The coincidence of me thinking of that question, using that word in advance And then you getting to speak into that because I'm in a season of life where I've been married two years and grew up with a very strong, close family unit. My husband did too. And that's something that we are really learning as we go right now, that we want to be that. And it's not something that I would say even comes supernatural because when you have that that core intimate family space, it's easy to put that at the center of everything. So I'd love to know, is that something that's always been a part of you and something you've always wanted even before marriage? Or is that something that you've learned along the way? Mm, That is such a good question. Yeah, I think I have a little bit, I definitely have a very different experience and family background. And I'm sure to some degree it formed that a few things about my family. One, my parents did not have a healthy marriage that lasted. And so my family, you know, my parents got divorced when I was, when I was a kid, not really a kid, teenager. And so I didn't really see healthy, long-term committed marital relationship modeled. So I really, I knew deeply that that is like, what I wanted. And honestly, from a really young age, like I, I call myself a serial monogamous and I joke that like commitment is my love language. And that's not just for my spouse or like boyfriend, but like friendship. I've been in the same career. I've been building Seiko designs for 11 years now. I've had one job. I've had one husband. I have lifelong friends. Some of them from the time I was 13 that I, I know just like I will go to the grave with these being the women that I, I walk alongside. So commitment and like just, oh gosh, there was this amazing quote that I heard that was something about like a great life is built with like long-term faithfulness in one direction or something like that. And that I felt like really resonated. And so I knew that like marriage and a committed marriage would be a really high priority to me. But then I, I do also think I had, I, my mom is incredible. I have a great mom. She's an amazing human being. She loved me in so many ways. She loved me very, very, very well because of the lack of stability that she had in her own marriage. And then in some other areas of life, I do feel like her kids kind of became 
to use your language, the center of her universe. And I, and I felt that, like, I think I felt that as a child, I felt that as a teenager, I felt that like as a young adult. And, and so, yeah, I think that from, from going into marriage and thinking about building a family, I just like deeply desire for my kids to see the interconnectedness of my my life, my relationships, my passion, and that they get to be a part of that, but that it doesn't rest on them. And that, and really like, I don't need my children to fulfill me. And because I really believe that it is difficult. There is a loving out of a need to be needed. And then there is a loving that comes out of an overflow of, I am, I love myself. I'm loved by God. I'm loved by other people. I love other people. And, and it fills me up to the point that like out of that fullness, I, I get to love you. And mm-hmm. I, I don't really need anything in return from you. Now, I say that. I'm not like a Zen <laughs> person who's like, even my kids are young. And I, I can already see how my own ego is like thrown into that and like attached to them. And I'll, I'll notice in myself, you know, I'll do something for my kids. And I, I'm like, I, I didn't even realize it going into it, but I was like, oh, I wanted a reaction. I wanted a specific reaction and I need you to treat me or react to me in a specific way. And I really do try to catch myself in that moment of like, okay, you don't need, you don't need anything from them. Like if, mm-hmm. if this was an act of like, you know, ultimately like true love or sacrifice, it should kind of end there. So again, I'm definitely not like perfect, but it's at least like a conscious thought that like, I want to love my children out of an overflow, not out of a sense of like, I need my kids to need me or to love me in a specific way. And I, and I deeply want them to grow up with a real sense of like, freedom. And I, and I think, and it's hard, you know, like I have this four-year-old who he's just, oh my gosh, this kid, I just love him so much. And he is just this, he is a, he is a funny nut. (laughs) He is just so, he just goes about in the world and he's so adventurous and he is so, he just, he doesn't, he's only four and he is, he's just so independent. And you know, there are times that like my ego, I think can be hurt by that of like, I want him, you know, there's like this weird part of me that's like, well, why don't you fall apart when I leave? And when I get on FaceTime and I've been in Uganda for two weeks, like, why are you not crying when we're on FaceTime telling me that you miss me? And in those moments, I like catch myself and I'm just like, that is so messed up. Like your role as a parent is to raise a child who feels securely attached in his love to you And then that represents and enables him to feel securely attached to himself and to the Lord and to his identity so that he can freely go into the world and he can adventure and he can have experiences and he always knows that there's a home base and that there's a safe place for him, but that like for him... He doesn't need that. He's he, he's not like hanging on to that out of a sense of like need or fear. And so it's like that is literally intellectually what I want my child to be. And yet you have these moments where you're like, why don't you need me more? Like, why don't you miss me more? You know, I, I had um, my husband and I went to, we took a quick like two night trip out to the Columbia River Gorge for our 11th anniversary and, um, and we were, you know, I was, I was walking away from him. I was on the sidewalk and we were getting ready to get, get in the car. And he was like, like he always is just totally fine. When I leave, gives me a huge hug and kiss. 
have a great time, mom. And I was like, thanks, buddy. And then he walked away. And that's all I expected because I've come to know him that that's how our goodbyes go. And then he, he turned around really quickly and he was like, mom, wait. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Are we going to have like, you know, a needy four-year-old? <laughs> and he goes, he looks at me and he goes, mom, 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 wait. And then I go, yeah, buddy. And he goes, I hope you miss me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's not what I was expecting, but it's, you know. And so, but yeah, there's always like, you know, as mothers, as parents, we have our ideals. And then of course we have our own fragile ego, false self that we're constantly working out of and working through and in, in, in trying to acknowledge. But it's like that, that is my heart is that I want to raise, I want to raise kids who are securely attached so mm-hmm. that, not so that they need me, but so that they can go out into the world and freely become whoever it is that God created them to be. Wow. I I'm learning so much. I'm like, just keep talking, keep talking because it's one of those things that you hear and you think, yeah, yeah, that's how we are created to be. We are created to be individuals that are full of that love that we've received. And we know how to live out the life we've been called to live. We know how to walk in that purpose and walk in that passion and have those people around us. But man, yeah, I, I don't even have a lot to add to that. That's I'm really thankful that that's how we've kicked off this conversation because I could camp out in parenting for so long. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I do. And that's, that's what's been su- such a reward of this podcast is seeing where the conversations go and that you have these questions that are premeditated and guided. And then when you just have a conversation, it's amazing the things that we all have that we're walking through in our own lives that we can bring to one another and hopefully empower one another through it. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to shift to talk a little bit more about Seiko Designs and also about Beginner's Pluck and your new coffee company and really firsthand get to hear from you. Where did your passion to start all of these things and to say yes to all these things begin? So I answer this question, you know, where did your passion begin I answer it with a lot of intentionality because for a long time I didn't. And I think I realize in hindsight that for many years, I think by not being really intentional with my words and with language, that I ended up perpetuating this like false narrative that I don't know. I mean, it's not like anybody's ever said like, you hurt me in that. But I feel like there's a chance that I contributed to a narrative that is not helpful and potentially harmful. And by that, I mean this kind of question and conversation around how did you find your passion? Five years ago, I would have said, well, I had always been passionate about issues facing women and girls living in extreme poverty. I would have said it very casually. I would have said it very flippantly. I would have not thought twice about it. I'm like, okay, we'll just start there. I was always passionate about this thing. And then that's kind of our jumping off point for, you know, I get this job, I quit it, I moved to Uganda, blah, 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 blah. But what I realized that in answering it that way, it does such a disservice to the actual story because it kind of perpetuates this mythology that we have around passionate people that they literally just like came into the world as passionate people. That They kind of like knew what their thing was. And here's the thing. Some people do. That is a true story for some people. Statistics would say it's about like somewhere in the 15 to 20% of people in their mid-20s would say by their mid-20s, 
companies. They knew what they were about. They knew what they were, you know, passionate about. That had kind of been formed and they had this kind of like call or direction that they were following. And that's by mid-20s. So I'm guessing that, you know, by childhood or like high school graduation, that percentage is significantly lower. So it's not that that's not a true story. It's just that it's a minority story, but it ends up making up like a majority of the stories that we hear. So we have this like false representation of how it happens. And the reason that that is kind of problematic is because it can lead people who are actually in the majority of not having had that experience to feel like they're broken, to feel like they've missed out, to feel like something's wrong with them. When in reality, like they're the majority, they are having the human experience of not really knowing by a certain age or time, like, why am I here? What lights my heart on fire? What is the call on my life? And so that was a really, really long preface to say, I can look back and see the thread of this interest really that I had just in justice. And specifically, it got more specific around issues that women and girls face and kind of gender injustice. And then it got, a, and then somewhere along the way, it got a little bit more specific with women and girls gender injustice, specifically the injustice that women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones face. And so um, I didn't have a vision for how all of these things went together for a really long time. And when I did, it was more, frankly, kind of like accidental than mastermind but I don't say accidental in like a magical, I just really dislike when people are like, I just like did this and then I did that. And then I kind of accidentally became mm-hmm. successful. That is not how it's happened for me. Like I have really worked really hard at everything that I've done. And 90% of the things that I have tried didn't work. They didn't take off. They, I, there wasn't an immediate reception to it. Like I had to tweak. I had to work on it. I had to relaunch it. I had to redo it. Um, and so my story is not one of accidental success, but it is one that I just was really curious and I was really interested and I was interested in this big problem of, you know, gender injustice facing women and girls across the globe. And then, and then I started exploring that in the context of relationship and community, which was so key to me. So I quit my job, my first job out of college, you know, I was there for like an embarrassing amount of time, three months, maybe quit it, moved to Uganda, bought a one-way plane ticket and showed up in Uganda really just to learn build community, make friends, and kind of learn about this issue in the context of community and relationships. And then one thing kind of led to another. And I met these women and they were so smart and they were so passionate, but they couldn't go to college. And so I tried a couple different things that failed. I wanted to start like a nonprofit. And then I was like, had this real come to Jesus, total turnaround moment where I was like, no, 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 we can't. I, I, we can't start another charity in a country that has more charities and nonprofits mm-hmm. than anywhere else in the world. And yet is still facing these really like systemic issues of injustice. We need to use a business. We need to use a marketplace solution. I started a chicken farm that failed. And then I, <laughs> then I started the thing that actually worked and I say it actually worked, but it was like, okay, we're on the, it, it is still technically Seiko designs, but we're on the like 15th millionth iteration of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I designed a pair of sandals and I hired these young women and I taught them how to make the sandals and was like, Hey, I promise that if you make these sandals for the next nine months that you'll go to college next fall. And they were like, 
okay. And I was like, okay. And so even then, even in that moment, I had started the company, I had the website, I was selling the product. I would not have said at that time, I was not passionate about the core of what my business is or what my life is now made up of, of like using business to create a positive social impact and more specifically using like a lifestyle fashion business. I was doing that and was not passionate about it. I was passionate about the issue and I was passionate about the mission and I was passionate about the big question in problem that I was trying to solve. But honestly, business in fashion kind of felt like, blah, I mean, I, I can do it. I can do it to solve a purpose. But what I think is really neat is that a decade later, I am like wildly passionate, not just about the mission, but very passionate about the how, being for us business and specifically like product. Two things that just like get me excited. I love learning about it. I'm still really actively involved in both of those parts of our business, kind of the business development strategy side and the product side. But I never, ever, ever could have seen it coming. Mm-hmm. And, the, and my passion just grew. It was built out of necessity and out of curiosity, not out of like sitting on the sidelines and being like, "Mm, okay, I need to mastermind this. I'm passionate about this cause and I'm really good at this thing and I'm passionate about this and how do I fuse it all together? I have a book in, or I have a chapter in my book called, um, I should probably know this, something about like being open to being surprised. And I think I'm just so passionate about that message because I meet so many people that want to figure it out while they're sitting in the bleachers and then hop into the arena with their game plan. And what I want to say is like, for 20% of people, that's going to work out well. Mm-hmm. They have it inside of them. They already know. For the other 80% of us, like, good luck. I, you, you don't figure it out sitting in the bleachers, watching other people, reading books, following people on Instagram, whatever it is that you say you're doing to like be inspired and to get research or blah, 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 blah. Like you're done. You don't need any more research. You don't need to watch anybody else. What you need to do is go out and do the freaking thing and let yourself be open to what interests you and what ignites you and what you might even be good at that you didn't realize going into it. Yeah. Until you do it. I remember as a reader opening your book and seeing the first chapter was called own your average. And in that moment, I just knew, okay, this is going to be this is going to be an author that speaks straight to me like it's a friend with the straight truth of you see from the outside this business that I've built and the impact that it has and how passionate I am but let's get to the core of what does it actually look like on the journey that never ends we're always on this journey of navigating how what is the next thing and I love that you speak to curiosity and being curious and trying things. And I would love to know in that, obviously, there are moments of defeat. There are moments where we compare ourselves or we think, why didn't that work? When is this going to work? What are some things that you do in allowing to give yourself grace in those moments to feel that, but then to bounce back and to keep being curious? That is a great question. I actually just got done recording a podcast with an artist, leader, self-help, wellness thinker. Her name's Alexandra L. And we actually chatted a lot about this on my podcast. The difference between your reaction and your response is really huge. And I think de-shaming your reaction. Like I am, I don't know, you know, 10, 15 years into adulthood, whenever we 
think or believe that that actually starts. And I feel like I've done a fair amount of like, I've kind of thrown myself into the fire and have had, have been forced to do a lot of work on myself and my ego and my resiliency. And still, still 10, 15 years in, my reaction to rejection, my reaction to loss, my reaction to embarrassment, my reaction to conflict is still to this day, this deeply physiological train that hits me that I just can't seem to change. I, my heart starts racing. My face gets kind of flushed. I immediately feel nauseous. Like just within seconds, I can go from being a hundred percent fine to like, I'm literally probably going to throw up. I feel so sick to my stomach right now. And you know what? I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, maybe, I don't know that that's ever going to change. What can change and giving myself grace for that of like, instead of spending the mental and emotional energy, beating myself up for having that reaction Instead saying, okay, feel it, like sit there, feel it. You know yourself, you know what's coming. These, these emotions, these feelings in your body are not foreign. You've been here before, like letting myself feel it, but then really putting the bulk of my mental and emotional energy into transitioning out of my reaction, which is this kind of just like physiological, psychological reaction to something. Mm -hmm. Think about reaction, like, you know, you put baking soda and vinegar together and what happens? Well, there's, there's just this reaction. There's this thing that immediately happens. Your response, however, is what's the next, what are you acting out of? What are the words that you are going to say? What is the response that you are going to have? What is the action step that you are going to take? And I truly, truly, truly believe that the difference in what makes actually a mature and effective leader is that they have intentionality and control over moving out of their reaction and into their response. And they understand that those things are, are very different, that we cannot as leaders, and whether you are leading in your home or whether you are leading a global company, as leaders, it is our responsibility to stop, to pause, to acknowledge the feelings and then say, okay, now what am I, what am I? moving forward with and having that be a really intentional process. And like we, our emotions happen, but they don't own us. They're important signals. Like when something happens and like I immediately feel nauseous and my heart, you know, is racing and I start to sweat, those are really important signals for me to like lean into and to stay curious about why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. It's the worst case scenario that I'm imagining right now. A big thing for me is identity. I can so quickly realize that I made a mistake and my kind of cycle of shame is like, you made a mis mistake because you are this and this and this and this and this. You are, you know, stupid and you are, you know, like not strategic enough or you are an idiot or you are selfish or you or, you know, whatever, whatever the kind of shame narrative is that comes out of that specific mistake. And so for me, like recognizing the complexity and the nuance of like us as humans, that like the thing that we do or did or didn't do that may have worked or may not have worked, like that doesn't define us. And kind of separating myself a little bit from those, from those two things. And so I think for me, that's been a really important part of, and if you don't learn how to do that, Mm -hmm. don't you can't you can't make it like yeah, you spiral you will spiral and I think you just end up in like a super closed off small world that you build for yourself because you want to protect yourself from ever having to feel those feelings again of course there are things that that doesn't work and I say that you can protect yourself from certain things by just choosing a different life but 
there are obviously types of things that have nothing, you know, that happen to us or we experience that really do have nothing to do with our choices, but some of it we can control. So it is really tempting to say like, I'll just go into this small, closed, high walled Mm -hmm. cell. I will surround myself only with people that agree with me. I will surround myself only with safe people and things that I will, where I won't have to face rejection, criticism. I won't ever try anything, frankly. Like if you don't want to fail, you know, on a micro level, you can kind of choose that. Like everyone's like, well, you have to fail. And it's like, not really. Like if I just decided that I was going to spend my life only doing things that felt very within my current capacity, I could largely engineer a life where I don't actually have to face failure that much. Now, the bummer part of that is like you're engineering a life that's going to keep you from all of the really good stuff too. If you try to insulate yourself from failure, you can, but you're also going to insulate yourself from the feeling of flying and the joy and life that comes from doing something that matters and from making a difference and from building a community and actually making an impact in the world. And of course, making an impact in your own heart and in the process, becoming more of who you're supposed to be as well. Yeah. I heard something recently by Dr. Caroline Leaf that you have 15 seconds and that initial 15 second response to something that happens to you that is you feeling your emotions. You have permission to feel those things. And beyond that, you have control. You have control over how you respond, how you act, how you treat other people, how you treat yourself. And that mind shift for me has been helpful because it puts a boundary on, I'm scared, I'm afraid, I'm frustrated, I'm mad. Feel that for 15 seconds and that's okay because that is, that's your reaction, Right. But then beyond that, you have a choice. Yeah, that is real good. I love, I love there being a, yeah, an actual timestamp. Yeah, and not that I sit there and count it, like one, two, but it gives me this permission to recognize I am going to feel something. Yeah. You know, especially when you're in an entrepreneur, small business, when you're doing anything risky in life, let's just say that you are going to feel those things and that's okay. And we need to feel them as you said, but we don't need to make them bigger than they are. We don't need to give them more permission to rule our life than they deserve. And I'm so inspired by your story within that realm specifically that you are so honest, you show up and you share it for what it is. There's no, let's put a rose colored lens over this, but you really allow people to see if you're not wrestling with something, if you're not uncomfortable, are you really doing the thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you really out there doing something that matters and that's fulfilling? And we're all different and we're all on different places of the scale of that and how much of that we want. But that's one thing I've learned when I took my business full time and I walked away from my corporate career, it was, it was hard. I worked really, really hard for that career, but it was safe. I had that steady paycheck. I had a routine and I was growing within a certain space. It was very comfortable and safe. And when I felt the Lord just come in and say, Hey, I've given you these opportunities and these gifts and these places and my gut that are pulling at me. Well, what are you going to do about that? How are you going to learn more about sex trafficking? How are you putting yourself in positions to partner with ministries 
that are saving these women and protecting them and reintroducing them into society, how are you actually making yourself uncomfortable? In Dallas, Fort Worth, what are you doing when you live this comfortable life? And that's the side that I'm encouraged by people like you that lead in that. I'm encouraged to see other women that so boldly write a book walking through. I watched a man get hit by a car and there was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't speak his language. There was nothing I could do. And then you talk about how do we trade those big, impressive dreams for these tiny, beautiful ones? How do we walk in that? And how, how do we know that you're not alone? And like you said, you're not in the minority for taking that next step and being curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just so deeply believe that when more people honestly share their stories, there's such this beautiful like amplifying effect to honesty. And it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, by you being honest, you get to create space for someone else. And I think that I've just so... I've been just like such the recipient of that feeling of being on the other side of asking this question of like, am I alone? Am I broken? Am I the only one who's struggling with this? Am I the only one who's doing, you know, the thing and it's not working like I thought I would. And I just feel like there there are few words that are as life-giving as someone saying like, me too. And it may not be the exact same experience and it may not have the same details, but just that sense of like, okay, okay okay, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm just a human having a human experience. And I am partaking in, Richard Rohr refers to it as the big, beautiful hole. And that is that phrase, the big, beautiful hole is one I think of probably 15 times a day of like, okay, I'm a part of this big, beautiful hole. And by nature of that, I'm having these shared experiences that are some of them good. Like, you know, I think I, 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 I love when I, you know, when my kids do something that it just, I, I'm such a classic mom. And then I'm like, I know, no, no, no. All kids are beautiful and amazing, but my kids are like, they're just (laughs) particularly funny or special or whatever it is. I don't actually intellectually believe that, but you know, as moms, we, we are a, a little bit unbiased. And so I have this moment of just like my kid will say or do something. And it's just like this through the roof sense of joy and wonder. And I actually, even in the height, find there's something so beautiful about that shared experience. Like sometimes I'm just like stopped dead in my track of being like, how many billions of women over the course of, you know, the history of humanity, over the course of the globe have experienced this exact moment, not the exact circumstances, but this feeling of just like joy and contentment and gratitude in this space of like, you know, motherhood. I'm sharing that with like billions of women that are here and not here anymore. And then same with grief and loss and shame and embarrassment and failure. It's like, okay, I'm sharing in this. This is part of the human experience, but but where it goes wrong is when we kind of believe the lie that it's like, no, I'm particularly messed up. I'm particularly mm-hmm. unsuccessful. I'm particularly broken that can lead us to really want to hide our story, mm-hmm. hide ourselves in the process. Hey there, Wheatful Women. I want to take a moment and make sure you know all about Seiko Designs. Seiko is an ethical fashion brand that works to educate and empower women across the globe. By providing employment and educational opportunities, Seiko enables women to continue their education and become leaders in their communities. Their products are gorgeous, and the impact they make in the world is even better. 
If you're thinking, tell me more, we invite you to check out SeikoDesigns.com to learn more about the Seiko story and how to get involved. You can join Seiko to share their story, sell the products, and earn an income. You can also shop all footwear, jewelry, bags, clothing, gifts, and Liz's latest release of Together Coffee, a fair-traded and delicious coffee from Uganda and Ethiopia at www.seikodesigns.com. Now, back to my conversation with Liz. How do you lean on your community, your people, whether it's your girlfriends or maybe it's couple friends or family, how do you lean into them and allow them to share those strengths that they see in you? What does that look like for you? Is that something that's hard on moments where you feel like I just need a little bit of mojo right now? I just need a little bit of something to keep me going. How, what does that look like for you? It actually, there are still, there are still moments where it's hard. I won't say that, you know, that it's become something that is in in its entirety easy. I will say I'm so practiced in it that that is one of the, one of the like satisfying or encouraging things is like, if you practice showing up and being your true and honest self and you practice receiving truth from other people, it really does become so natural. And I would say it is very natural at this point in my life. It's not a struggle anymore because I have all of this muscle memory from I'm alone, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, I'm afraid. My instinct is to hide that, to protect myself, to not make it worse by shining a light on it, to put a good spin on it, to wrap it up in a bow. And then moving through that and saying, nope, 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 nope. I know we're better together. I know bringing my full self. I know being honesty. I've experienced the levity that comes from hearing that you're not alone and from getting something that felt you know, secret and shameful out into the light and it losing its power. That like you do that enough and it at least my experience has been, it's just like literally a no brainer. And I am just really, I'm a, I am a nut job when it comes to community. I it's, it is the, I mean, a top priority in my life. I build community. I have like an incredible group of friends, literally, as I mentioned from like high school, middle school. Wow. Wow live in the same city with because I think proximity is incredibly important. We share property. We help raise each other's kids. We share, we share everything. We share our possessions. We share our life. We share our money. Like it's just like really exploring what the bounds of, you know, of, of really living life together is. In my company at Seiko Designs, you know, we've managed to make our entire business model built around community community for this global community that we're building of our producers and suppliers and partners and then community in our sales force. So all of our products are sold through Seiko Fellows. And these are social entrepreneurs, primarily women, but we have some men joining, especially with our newest launch of Together Coffee. We've got a new little coffee brand. And so we're seeing seeing some dudes join in. So cool. (laughs) Um, But even in that of just like you know, using the retail sales side of our model, these, these folks, they sell the product, they share the story, they earn an income, they can build a team. And really so much of my job, like my profession revolves around creating that community. Do you feel connected? Do you feel like people are rooting for you? Do you know what the mission is? Do you feel like you're a part of it? Do you get what part of it you are? Are you feeling encouraged when you're down? Do you feel like you're not alone? And that's for my day job is like building community into our actual like 
business because I just believe in it so deeply. We named our new coffee company that we just launched to get their coffee and the whole like, you know, our slogan being like, we're better together. And um, even like in our products, bringing in our like focus on community and togetherness. And I think I feel particularly passionate about it because as, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a leader of a global company, I have colleagues in Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, Peru, India, Asia, all over the world. I have community and colleagues, and I have just learned so much from my global community. And when I look at America, one of the first things that strikes me is the poverty of community that we have in this country and the intense loneliness, disconnection, the, I would honestly just say like the, the Mm -hmm. echo chambers that we have created, how we other, other people and some of my dearest friends, you know, from Ethiopia or Uganda will come to the U S and, you know, a lot of times there's the sense of being really in awe of some of the things, you know, like going to the grocery store and like, Oh my gosh, there's like 900 types of cereal and (laughs) public transportation works really well here. But man, one of the really overwhelming senses is of just like the loneliness and the disconnection. And I have a lot of friends who have come to America thinking that they were going to build a life here and they went back home because they were like, they're deep struggles that we have at home, economic and, you know, social, political. And even though this, to see people say, like, I might not know where my next paycheck is coming from, but my gosh, at least I'm not alone. Like, at least I'm not feeling like I'm just a burden on people and that we live in, you know, this super isolated world. And so I think for me, that has become like, I love my job because I love that I get to work in communities and cultures that are so rich in so many ways that we are lacking in the United States of America. And, and frankly, try to be a part of contributing to some of the areas that are a lot harder, economic, educational opportunity, that we can take for granted here and say like, okay, how can we use our business? You got this thing going on. You're doing this awesome. How can we partner so that there's more economic and educational opportunity for you? But then meanwhile in the U.S. saying like, okay, we, you know, we've got, you know, economic or education opportunity, but like how, how can we learn from our global community to build something that truly is together and that is community based and where we realize like, no, we're part of the big, beautiful whole. We're not alone. Yeah. And I have a question for you. And this just popped into my head. But for the woman that's listening to this, that says, oh, I have that yearning. I want more community. I want to surround myself with what Liz is talking about. How would you empower her to do that? What would you tell her? And obviously it's, it starts with us, right? It starts with us paying attention to who we're around and where we can get plugged in and initiating and inviting and leading. But would you have any words to empower that person that maybe has realized how much of a desire that is while listening to you talk about this? That's a great question, Brittany. I would definitely say like start by being the friend that you want and start by being the friend that you want to someone who needs a friend. (laughs) You know, I think so often we confuse our desire for community and to be known with our desire to be on the inside of some specific 
circle, community, and that can be really distracting because we think, oh, once we get on the inside of that, once I'm accepted by those people, then I will feel like I'm a part of something. Then I will be safe and a part of the whole. And in trying to get into whatever that is can be such a distraction to actually building true community. And there's just, there's so many people that are lonely that like finding someone who could use love and then modeling the type of being to someone else, what you wish somebody would be to you and starting there. But I will say starting without expectation because Mm -hmm. building community is like any other thing in your life. It's probably not going to work at first. And it's probably going to be pretty awkward at first and probably going to feel forced and it's going to be unreciprocated. And I feel like there's a lot of people who like get this idea of like, I want to be in community and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do that. And then the first roadblock that they hit, it can feel really demoralizing and really tender. And I got rejected or it didn't end up being the way that I wanted it to be, or they never call me back. And, and then we can just spiral. We spiral, spiral, spiral. Like nobody likes me. This is too hard. The world is out, you know, like it's out to get me. And so it's not going to be magical. Like it's going to literally be like any other good thing in your entire life you probably had to work really, really hard for and maintain a strong sense of your own identity so that you can go out and actually love people without this neediness of like, yeah, I'm being the friend that I want to be, but I'm doing it so you will immediately do it back to me. And when you don't, I'm going to be really disappointed in you and resentful and I'm going to move on to the next person. But I, I think putting yourself out there is a huge thing. Like, my husband and I kind of have this phrase that we talk about. We talk about assuming the friendship, like that we walk into relationships assuming the other people are open to relationship and want to be friends with us. And certainly we're open to being proved wrong. Like, you know, there are people that don't like us or don't want to be around us or who, you know, won't return our calls and like, you can't be friends with everybody and that's like totally fine. But what ends up happening is that like we're so concerned with playing it cool and we're so concerned with not looking like needy or like we don't have any friends or like we're – that then we, we hide our desires and we wait for somebody else to make the invitation. We wait for somebody else to be vulnerable. We wait for somebody else to go first. And then you just have this world of, you know, 30 million people who are walking around waiting for the other person to be the one that goes first when all, when we all like desperately want that. And it takes a lot of courage, but you do get to a point where it's like, I don't know, I can like assume the friendship and get rejected and it doesn't like rock my world like it used to. Cause you just get practiced at it, that it's like, all right, I'm not for everybody. And like, I thought she was really awesome and then we could be friends and it seems like she doesn't, she's not into it. That's fine. (laughs) But I'm going to assume it. Like, otherwise I'm just going to assume the best and like assume that you want a relationship and a friendship. And if I'm going to err on one side or the other, I think I would rather err on that side than like, I don't know. It's like, oh my gosh, what? Sometimes I feel like, you know, people are like, what are you waiting for? Like a Mm -hmm. skywriter? You want somebody Mm -hmm. to hire like a uh, airplane jet and write your name in the clouds before you'll (laughs) like, there's a potential friendship there, you know, like we're all like, (laughs) making it in life. Yeah. yeah. Like, all just like barely swimming, trying to remember, you know, when the kid's doctor appointment is and what we're going to have for dinner and like, eh, how is this business deal going to go through? And that isn't a reflection on you. That's a reflection on we're like all just humans trying to survive. So when you send the text mm-hmm. message and it doesn't get answered, don't play games. Yeah. And yeah. send it to someone that's not like mean and needy and like, you know, like passive aggressive, just like mm-hmm. assume that they're just trying to survive and like yeah, pop yeah. and see what happens. And especially as adults, 
I think we've brown this corner where, like you said, whatever adult means <laughs> 20, 30, 40, whatever. And we assume it's too late. They already have their friends and being the friend that you want to have even just with people in passing that you don't see all the time, asking them to grab a cup of coffee when we can do that again. And it's so important to lead with that interest in other people. Absolutely. Yes. People love to talk about themselves. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And people are craving that engagement and interaction and authenticity. And when you can show up and say, Hey, I don't have it all together. Do you want to hang out? It, it's amazing what those friendships can do to change your life. But I want to end with one last question for you. And I like asking this question kind of as an inside scoop, but where do you find the most opportunity to connect with your readers, the men and women that are reading your book or your customers? Do you, where do you find that engagement with them? So my, my answer is a little bit specific, probably annoyingly specific, But our business model, the fact that we have individuals who are selling our product, they are, they are my main, they are 90% of my energy and my care goes into that core community of women who have signed up, who have said, I want to build alongside of you. I'm going to sell these products. I'm going to share this story. And so I primarily connect with Um, women who are part of our company. And that's not just because it's like, I only have so much energy and like, I'm Mm going to give my best and I'm going to make myself accessible to the people who have made a movement towards me. And we're in this together versus like our broader, I love my, you know, just like book readers and my Instagram followers. Instagram is probably, if we're talking about like platforms, the tool where I where I connect the most with kind of people who aren't in that core community. But I would definitely say like, I really order my attention because it's so limited and I want to give my best and my, all of my like access and energy to the folks that are like, Hey, we're in this together and we're building together. And so at least during that season of life, that's what it looks like for me. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Liz. It was such a treat to chat with you today. And I enjoyed just asking some questions that I've personally been curious about. And I know that everybody that tunes into this episode is going to leave feeling much fuller than when they came. So thank you. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing out in the world and on this podcast. And thanks for letting me be a part of it. Of course. Bye-bye. Connect with Liz on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Liz Bohannon. You can also find Seiko Designs online at Seiko Designs. That's S-S-E-K-O Designs. Did you enjoy this episode? Would you hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and share this podcast with a girlfriend? A great way to help us get the word out is by screenshotting this episode on your cell phone and tagging us at Wheatful Woman to your Instagram story. We'd love to hear your favorite parts of the show so we can keep creating episodes that show up to serve you. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to catch you next time.